Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Hey, everybody. Today on The Charlie Kirk Show, we ask the question, what on earth does the left want? We answer that question through the most important thinkers that you probably never knew existed that are teaching our kids to hate Western society. I want to thank those of you that support our program at charliekirk.com slash support. Please consider becoming a supporter for $10, $50, $100 a month, whatever you can pitch in. It helps keep our program growing strong at charliekirk.com slash support. Very informative episode. Get your notepads out. I hope you learn a lot. Buckle up, everybody. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. So I was recently in the People's Republic of Los Angeles. And I was with some really close friends and some people that support Turning Point USA, and we were having a candid conversation. Uh, Producer Andrew was with us there, and he does a great job, and he helps produce two podcasts for us a day and one on the weekends. Our whole production team does great, and I'll say their names if they're okay with it. I don't know if they are or not. I don't want them to have to have their entire identity smashed by the radical and tolerant left, but they all do a great job. And for those of you that support us at charliekirk.com slash support, you help This entire production team continue to give you the truth, facts, logic, and history every single day. What was really incredible is these some of the most successful people in the entire country had some phenomenal questions. They were dear friends of mine. And a lot of them were so confused as to what was happening in our country. For good reasons, by the way. A lot of these very generous people, very successful people that were running massive businesses. They do not understand or they were failing to understand exactly why the arson was happening in America. What exactly was driving George Soros and the radical left? Why is it that the left and their forces are so focused on deconstructing marriage, the family, our history and our statues? I got question after question as to why are they doing this? Why is the left doing this? So I thought to myself, why don't we do an episode actually going through the motives of the left? So we've talked about this a little bit here on the program in episodes previous, but we wanted to really dive into what is it the left is trying to achieve? What is their end game and why is it they are fighting for what they are fighting for? Do they actually just want a country that is burning and on fire or are they actually trying to achieve some form of an end goal. We're going to explore this together throughout this episode and go through some of the key thinkers that the left derives inspiration from. We are going to go through multiple historical examples. We're going to go through some of the philosophers that were some of the driving forces of the American left. 
And a lot of these people that I was talking to, they could not understand why BLM Incorporated is trashing their cities and why the media is so complicit and covers for them by constantly calling them peaceful protesters when they obviously are not. As one of our listeners wrote to us this morning, this is what they said. It seems like justice and objective truth are a thing of the past. The world is upside down and opposite of reality. Criminals are free and hardworking, normal Americans feel stifled and trapped. Completely agree. So many people don't understand the anger that is actually pointed at America, especially by our own citizens. Now, without saying any names, I met this incredible couple, this woman that was wearing a MAGA hat, bright, bright red MAGA hat at this private dinner. And she said she was a liberal for her whole life. She owned a gym in West L.A. And BLM Incorporated came and stole everything, ransacked the place, destroyed it. She was livid. She found out that her insurance only covered $36,000 of reimbursed material. And her friends, the people she thought were her friends, said, oh, we're so sorry that your business got caught up in such a good and righteous cause. This was her red pill moment. She immediately became a Trump supporter. She recognized that this movement is rooted in destruction, malevolence, hostility, and anger. So I answered a lot of these people's questions, but the one that just kept popping up, and I love these people, some of the most generous, incredible people that I've known for years, but they had a question I know a lot of you have had, and you've emailed me at freedom at charliekirk.com. This question is, what is in it for them? What do the rioters and the anarchists want? So many people cannot understand why our nation and our state and our city and our communities are now being held hostage by the arsonists, the deconstructionists, and the disintegrationists. In other words, so many people are confused as to why the rioters and the revolutionaries are actually doing things to hurt themselves. There are some very real and important answers to these questions. But it really occurred to me, and it struck me so deeply, that so many people still do not understand what motivates the left. I might have just left it at that and talked about something entirely different today. But we've talked about exactly what is happening. We've talked about some of the history behind it. But I think we need to do an even better job of communicating to you, the Charlie Kirk Show audience, as to what is behind the pathology of national suicide, of what is behind the motivation of a rich, prosperous, wealthy, free, and equitable nation deciding we no longer want to exist. And there was a great piece written by Peter Hassan, who we just recently had on the show. I encourage you guys to go back in the archives and listen to as many episodes as you can, because some of the episodes we've done, especially in the last couple of weeks, and even more so in early June, are completely timeless. I encourage you guys to check out America's War on Men, one of my favorite episodes we ever did. Uh, we did one where we deconstructed BLM Incorporated. We called out the nonsense around the rioting and the looting and the arson in our country. Back on July 1st, we had BLM Incorporated versus America. And it's kind of incredible to think we have done 76 podcast episodes here on the Charlie Kirk Show since July 1st. It's pretty awesome. So for those of you guys support us at charliekirk.com slash support, we have done 76 podcasts since the 1st of July. No other podcast team has produced that much content out there. It actually brings me great joy at how much support we are getting from you guys and the emails I get from you where you say that we are helping persuade you, helping give you hopefully some clarity in these very confusing times. But that's what I want to focus on today. What do they want? 
what is their driving motivation and where do they get it from? So there's this great piece that said, there's this great piece by Peter Hassan that just really struck me. It said this, abolish the United States of America. The radical youth liberation front active in Portland encourages violence and explicitly rejects peaceful protesting. This is from the Daily Caller. It says the youth liberation front is credited with organizing protests in Portland last week that extended into the early morning hours and turned violent. The radical group's goals extend far beyond changing policies and even beyond abolishing the police. As noted in a July 8th tweet, we don't want to be led. We don't want to lead. We want to destroy the United States of America. The group said to their more than 32,000 followers, abolish the United States of America. YLF has over 32,000 followers on its social media platform on Twitter. Now, they say they are between the ages of 14 to 25. This is what they claim. And so far, the feckless Seattle city government is refusing to clamp down on the group. They sound like a terrorist organization. Sergeant Kevin Allen of the Portland Police Department said, we are aware of this group. However, we do not assign actions to a group. We will take action against individuals when we have probable cause that have committed a crime. This is such incredible double standard. We do not, we do not prescribe actions to a group. That's the entire philosophy of the left. Now, all of a sudden, they don't do it when it's actually correct to prescribe it to an entire group. They do this to us. They say, all white people are evil. You have white privilege. All men are awful. I mean, what if it was the KKK marching through the streets of Portland? Like, oh, we're only going to measure them all by one person by one person. No, they would rightfully condemn anyone who is part of the KKK demonstration. They wouldn't say, well, there's some good people and some not so good people. No, they would get absolutely ridiculed for that. And that very same wrongful accusation is what they did against President Trump back during his correct repudiation of the Charlottesville incident a couple years ago. And in case you're wondering, they have not been removed from Twitter. That's considered acceptable dialogue by the tyrants at Twitter. So let's now start diving into motivation. What drives the left? What do they want? Why are they burning the streets every night? Why are they stealing merchandise? Why is it that the press is covering up for them so much? Why are they not covering the growing insurrection happening in America? We can take a 5 a.m. raid and be back on our feet a few hours later. We'll be back again and again and again until every prison is reduced to ashes and every wall to rubble, YLF wrote in a June 18th tweet. And this, members of our group report that watching the Senate hearing on Antifa was very inspiring. Countless times the movement was referred to as being well-organized, and it was conceded that they are winning on various occasions. We will succeed in abolishing America, KKK, uh, America, YLF wrote on Twitter on August 4th. When some members of a crowd at June 2nd protest booed the burning of the American flag, the group tweeted, if you are booing someone burning a symbol of white supremacy and state violence at a protest against white supremacy and state violence, what the F is wrong with you? So their opening argument is that the United States of America is equivalent to white supremacy, the Ku Klux Klan, state violence, prisons, walls, and oppression. This is a very important point. So what you're seeing is a confluence of inputs and ideologies working themselves out in a uniquely American form of cultural Marxism. This indoctrination started in the universities and in certain online communities, but the ideologies themselves have their roots in certain thinkers. We have talked extensively here about the French fraud by the name of Jean-Jacques Rousseau. 
He argued that we should value the infant over the adult, the primitive over the civilized, the passionate lover over the calmly loyal spouse. He thought that human beings were naturally good in the state of nature. I take a much more Hobbesian view of the state of nature. I think that human beings in the state of nature, it's more nasty, brutish, and short. This is actually very consistent and harmonic with a biblical view of nature. The Rousseauian view of nature by Jean-Jacques Rousseau, he thought that human beings did not have original sin. They did not have natural sin. He thought that human beings do bad things because of flawed systems around them, because of personal property, because of private property, because of government, because that we have created civilized society. He, th- he had a romantic, idealistic view of going back to the jungles, going back to the woods, where human beings could act as natural, primitive beings. And then and only then will we be able to have harmony with each other. And that should be the ideal of the planet. This, of course, is so foolish, it requires somebody to go to college to actually believe it. So I'm going to mention three people that have heavily influenced what is happening today. And probably a fourth, but he's so difficult to be able to explain and deconstruct. So I guess I'll start there. The first is just called Hegel or George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel, a German philosopher. He is so hard to understand. I have not read his literature. I understand some of the big arguments that he tried to make in many of his writings. He is one of the hardest philosophers to dive into and to actually understand. I tried to dive into some of his writings, the phenomenology of spirit, and quite honestly, I had to take a pause. So I instead watched a couple lectures and spent some time with some serious philosophers who understood Hegel, but even I struggled to work through a lot of his writings. So we will do an entire podcast on Hegel. Some of his big ideas uh, were around the, 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 the synthesis of two ideas. You have a thesis and an antithesis. A thesis and an antithesis, not an antithesis. He called it an antithesis. And essentially out of that, you get a synthesis. Uh, very much argued for the slow and prolonged but steady progression of politics and sociology. He is so difficult to understand. He almost was intentionally difficult. We will do an entire podcast just on Hegel and what he called the Hegelian dialectic or the Hegelian way of solving problems. But let's focus on three individuals that are probably easier to understand, two of which lived in the last 50 years and one of which, which of course was in the mid 1800s. We'll start with Karl Marx. Many of you know Karl Marx. The term Marxist, of course, comes from Karl Marx. He wrote the Communist Manifesto. He was incredibly influential in economic theory. He argued that all things are a class struggle economically, uh, the bourgeoisie versus the proletariat, the working class versus the ownership. He eventually argued in his writings, the Communist Manifesto, for a absolute and total abolition of all property into a state of anarchy and a state of harmony. He actually derived his original worldview from Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Uh, Karl Marx was actually very material in his criticism. Almost everything that Karl Marx talked about was in economic terms, uh, whereas the people that came after him, the people that followed Karl Marx, were much more about broader power struggles 
outside of just material wealth. So by the 1960s, two other thinkers from France came up. And these two people have polluted the minds of the next generation more so than any other combination that I can pinpoint. They were from France and they came up with a series of thinking called postmodernism. Unlike Marxism, which is just strictly material in how they view the struggle between the powerful and the not so powerful, they go even deeper. They go into what actually drives a society and is there any such thing as absolute truth? So you start with the first, Michel Foucault. This guy was a complete and total trickster and fraud. In fact, I encourage all of you to go into Jordan Peterson's lectures. He has some of the most thorough takedowns of Michel Foucault and Jacques Derrida, which we'll get to in a second. Interestingly enough, Michel Foucault grew up extremely wealthy. His entire body of work was around the study of power. He did not believe Western society was a positive force for the planet. He thought the only thing were groups struggling against each other. He challenged preconceptions. He, he coined a term that he really enjoyed, and this was originally from Nietzsche in the 1800s, which we can get into at a different podcast, a different program, which was this idea of madness in civilization. You see, Michel Foucault, his entire thought process was around trying to deconstruct and destroy Western society. Prisons must be abolished. Police are a problem. Private and personal property should go away. This is rooted in bitter, resentful, and arrogant thinking. Jacques Derrida accompanied him. Jacques Derrida and Michel Foucault actually hated each other. They hated each other despite themselves having very harmonic and agreed upon sinister, backwards, very dangerous worldviews. So Michel Foucault, he was born in 1926 and he died in 1984 at the age of 57. It was more than enough time, by the way, to ruin millions and tens of millions and eventually hundreds of millions of Western minds. He really believed that power is a relationship between individuals and institutions. He did not believe that human action could actually improve an individual's life. He believed it was all an aberration. He believed that if you work hard and play by the rules, your life does not get better. You're nothing more than a pawn of a greater power play by the fallow logocentric dominant hierarchy. Now, fallow logocentrism, boy, that is a weird sounding word. Well, it is. This is what Jacques Derrida used to describe Western civilization. Fallow meaning focused on the patriarchy. Logo meaning logic being far too high of a preference for society. Centric meaning those two things are at the center of all of Western society. The postmodernists, they do not believe in any form of truth. The only identity you have is that in your tribal group that you can resort back to. Everything they view from is from a victim versus the oppressor. They believe in this neo-Marxist dominance power struggle. Jacques Derrida alongside Michel Foucault. And if these are new names for you, perfectly okay and understandable. But please, 
continue to listen in on our future podcasts and programs because I'm going to tell you exactly why your kids are being taught to hate America, why your friends hate America so much, because we dive into the philosophy, the root ideas as to how they are trained up to have resentment, arrogance, and deceit about Western society and Western civilization. Foucault focused on micro forms of power. He called these things forced relations as, quote, whatever in one's social interactions that pushes, urgence or compels one to do something. In Foucault's world, his is a postmodern theory of power, so it differs from classic material Marxism and feminism. Marxism was failing in the 1960s. It was actually widely accepted that Marxism was a foolish ideology. In fact, many people in the academy were afraid to espouse their Marxist ideologies because neoliberal capitalistic ideas generally made the Western world richer. They went on a rebranding campaign. When Derrida and Foucault came into the Western world, specifically into Yale University, the entire academy was excited to embrace a new rebranding campaign of the Marxist ideas they actually believed, but they could not articulate because everyone would mock them at how foolish they were. So they came up with the school and the thought process of postmodernism. They are the architects of everything we are living through right now to undermine the structure of our entire civilization. They believe that they should motivate the marginalized versus the reasonable. They despised any form of hierarchies. They believed in three big things. People are very good by nature. There should be no hierarchies and revolution is overdue. A revolution is past due and it needs to happen yesterday and they're going to make sure it happens at any cost. There is no such thing as math, science, truth, logic, or reason. These are all just constructs of power to try to oppress the disadvantaged, mostly people of color. Sound familiar? But for both Michel Foucault and Jacques Derrida, their sense of power is this abstract sense is that everywhere they tend to criticize hierarchies of power when they are external. That could be in government, in business, in finances, or in outcomes of life. Foucault called external power sovereign power, and this is all generally bad. With sovereign power, Foucault meant power hierarchies similar to a pyramid where one person or group of people holds all the power, while normal or the oppressed people are at the bottom of the pyramid. In the middle parts of the pyramid are the people who enforce the sovereign's orders like cops, bureaucrats, or mid-level politicians. This is why they hate cops. They see them as the infantry or the soldiers of the oppressors. This is also why we see so many of these woke mayors in Seattle and Minneapolis who think they can charm the mobs, that they can win them over to their side. We know this is foolish. We know this is balderdash. We know this is a false promise. The revolutionaries and the mob, they just think of them as mid-level hierarchy enforcers. So now let's get into internal or disciplinary power. So internal or disciplinary power came from inside the individual, and it could be a good thing. You see, they argue that disciplinary power is internalized and therefore doesn't continuously need external force. Foucault says that disciplinary power is primarily not an oppressing form of power, but rather so a productive form of power. 
So basically, it doesn't matter if you started from nothing and made something out of yourself. At all costs, it's the power that they hated. And success you have accumulated, if they perceive you as part of it, is only because you now are part of the enemy or the oppressive class. That's why the Foucault, Derrida, Rousseau, Marxist left today that are part of BLM, this is why they hate Candace Owens so much. You see, they don't look at her as being a success story. They look at her as a tribal traitor to black America. They look at her as someone who now is part of the dominance hierarchy that is oppressing other black people. We know this to be completely untrue. We know this to be a racist and bitter lie. That's why they will never applaud the achievements of Clarence Thomas, the only black individual on the United States Supreme Court. So in America, that means if you're white and male, no matter what condition you're in, you might be addicted to opioids and your whole family might have committed suicide. No matter what, you are privileged. This is how they view things, through strictly tribal lens. You see, fundamentally, they hate the external structure that we live in that allows for the accumulation of power at all, regardless if that power is used for good, as America has done countless times throughout history. But what Michel Foucault did through his writings, especially through the argument of, quote, disciplinary power or internal power, is just restating in his own postmodern language an age-old debate. Is man fundamentally good or fundamentally bad? So now we are back to a conversation that was quite, for those of us Christians, solved, and for our Jewish friends out there, in the first couple books of Genesis. Are people naturally inclined to sin, or are they naturally inclined to do good in the world? Foucault posits the theory that human beings are good. This is a Rousseauian idea, that if we discipline ourselves and remove all external or sovereign power that is oppressive, we human beings can live in a form of heaven. Plato had a similar observation. Aristotle disagreed with him, but Plato was not as direct as Rousseau and definitely not as misguided as Michel Foucault. Plato got a lot right, and I think he also got plenty of things wrong. Thomas Hobbes, who wrote in the 1600s, had a different view of things. As I mentioned earlier, he called the origin of life nasty, brutish, and short. Yes. Now, what Thomas Hobbes got wrong is he thought because we live in a state of nature where man is nasty and brutish and short, we need a dictator to make sure we don't do those bad things to each other. Ridiculous conclusion. I agree with the Hobbes observation of man. I disagree with the application of the Hobbes observation of man. So he was an English scholar in the 1600s. He wrote the Leviathan during the British Civil War. And so Hobbes agreed generally with a biblical view of human nature. We that are Christians or those of us that believe in the laws of nature and nature is God, which is a statement that is said in the Declaration of Independence and articulated by our founding fathers, is that we have the law given to us by God. We understand that kings and all authorities are created by God and appointed by him. The Bible is very nuanced. We are good in the sense that we are made in the image of God, but we are fallen by nature because we rebelled against God, Eve in the Garden of Eden. And from that point forward, human beings are inclined to sin. From a governing standpoint, however, Hobbes thought 
that we needed a dictator to try to prevent the nasty, brutish, and short human nature from resulting in total catastrophe. Remember, he lived through a civil war. All philosophers are a byproduct of the times they lived in and the things they were witnessing. So hopefully you're beginning to understand why the BLM Incorporated arsonist left hates the church so much and traditional faith in general. Foucault, Michel Foucault, the trickster postmodernist fraud from France, he's thought the church as embodying a biopower, the norms we internalize that control the masses. This is to borrow from Karl Marx. His students, therefore, want to destroy the church along with the rest of our society, because in their view, it helps strengthen the oppressive structures of our society. This is exactly why they hate America and Israel, and to a lesser extent, why they hate the West so much. They're the only two nations in the history of the world to be founded upon Judeo-Christian values. America is also the symbol of free enterprise capitalism, which to them is systemically oppressive to all people who are not white. America is a shining city on the hill that carries with it not just a landmass with the government, but the very embodiment of the freedom and success of Judeo-Christian values, the Enlightenment and classical liberalism. One of the key differences between the French and the American Revolution was that Americans sought to strengthen the power and freedom of the individual, which was the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The French, they sought fraternity, which is collectivist in nature. Karl Marx pointed to the French Revolution and Rousseau as the necessary philosopher that helped wipe away the vestiges of the past to make way for the Russian Revolution. Now, mind you, this war on religion is nothing new. Karl Marx called religion the opioid of the masses. Basically, that religion made us feel good of all the chaos that's around us, but it was only a utility to help us not even recognize the suffering around us. Cultural Marxists generally want to remove and replace our history. You see this with the removal of our statues and the demonization of white men who founded this nation. History keeps people tied to the old, the traditional, to the structures of power and oppression. The French revolutionaries tried to remove history and even restart time itself. Brought to you by the French revolutionary Robespierre. Jacques Derrida, the kind of partner in crime who actually hated Michel Foucault, said this, quote, One of the gestures of deconstructionism is not to naturalize what is unnatural, to not assume what is conditioned by history institutions or society is natural. You see, they are naturally critical of what has come before. They think it's inherent in Western society that it is oppressive. All of this ties into something extraordinarily important, critical race theory. Critical race theory is a school of thought meant to emphasize the effects of race on one's social standing. It arose as a challenge to the idea that in the two decades since the civil rights movement and associated legislation, racial inequality had been solved and affirmative action was no longer necessary. Critical race theory originated among legal scholars like Derrick Bell, Kimberley Crenshaw, Richard Delgado in the 1980s. And you see their kind of lax approach to law enforcement as our cities burn and are looted is all rooted in critical race theory, which is derived through Michel Foucault and Jacques Derrida. 
They argue that racism and white supremacy are defining elements of the American legal system and of American society writ at large, despite language related to, quote, equal protection in our statutes, laws and regulations. Again, think of all this in terms of power dynamics. They wanted to challenge seemingly neutral concepts like meritocracy and objectivity, which in practice tend to reinforce white supremacy. According to them, American African-American museums infographic, which claim things like hard work, were terms of whiteness. Critical race theory is interdisciplinary, drawing on a wide range of scholarly ideologies, including feminism, Marxism and postmodernism. Kimberlé Crenshaw is even more well-known for coining the term intersectionality, which meant to highlight the multiple and overlapping systems of oppression that women of color face to make their experience different from that of white women's. You see, it's all interconnected. Identity politics, postmodernism, intersectionality, critical race theory, power dynamics, hierarchies, Marxism. It's all an assault on objective truth. It's an assault on common sense and reason, an assault on history and traditions. It's a war on order, on morality, meritocracy, and the rule of law. Why? Because to these people, all of these are instruments of oppression. And that's where we are today. We started with telling you about the Youth Liberation Front. They want to burn the flag. They reject peaceful protesting. They reject liberalism and Western society. They reject America and they want to burn it to the ground. You can't have social justice inside our present system. They don't believe in reform because that would reform a system that is rotten to the core. You have to destroy it utterly and completely. Then you can revolutionize it, or as Obama said, fundamentally transform it. And if you're in favor of the system, if you love America, then they hate you. You are nothing but a tool for the perpetuation of systemic oppressive power. Ultimately, I believe we are all designed to worship. When we worship God, we innately understand who is truly in power, seated on a throne in heaven. We understand healthy and external power. Their religion is social justice. Our religion is to follow, believe, and obey God. If you're a Christian, to believe in the one that God sent his son, Jesus Christ. We understand that our mission is to make life on earth emulate and reflect the goodness of God in heaven. We don't believe that we can achieve heaven or utopia on earth like the revolutionaries, the socialists, the Marxists. We believe that it is best, the most morally upright country in the world that has lifted more people out of poverty and true oppression from monarchies and starvation and sickness than any other nation in the history of the planet. They have been taught the opposite. They have been taught to hate themselves. And we must fight back against this. In the face of postmodernism and the assaults of the left on objective truth and meaning, that segues into our Thinker Book of the Week, T-H-I-N-K-R dot org slash Charlie, T-H-I-N-K-R dot org, one of my favorite websites, thinker.org. And we are going to dive into our Book of the Week, which is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. So look, those of you that know thinker.org, you guys can consume amazing information very quickly. I encourage you to go to thinker.org slash Charlie. But here's what you'll learn in this book of the week. In the face of unspeakable cruelty and crushing conditions in the Nazi concentration camps, Viktor Frankl learned that it is still possible to live a life with dignity and purpose. In Man's Search for Meaning, Frankl reflects upon his experience and how he found hope in the most unlikely places. Here are some key insights. If a man wanted to stay alive in Auschwitz, he shaved 
with regularity. There are harrowing conditions reveal just about how adaptive human beings are. Under camp conditions, food became the preoccupation of conversation, imagination, and dreams. Politics and religion were featured prominently in discussions among prisoners. The simple and the mundane took on new significance for prisoners. Art and humor kept prisoners' spirits from being utterly crushed. And regardless of one's circumstances, there's always a choice. Liberation was not the immediately joyous experience that the prisoners anticipated. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl is our book at thinker.org slash Charlie. T-H-I-N-K-R dot org slash Charlie. We are going to continue to dive into the left and what motivates them. But what do they really want? They don't want America. America stands in the way of them creating a utopia that will never exist, a power grab that God willing they'll never get. Many of them are driven by bitter arrogance and deceit to try, to try and destroy everything that we love in our country. We're going to dive more into the philosophy of the left and the psychology of the left, especially coming up with our Ask Me Anything on Monday. Thank you guys so much for supporting our program at charliekirk.com slash support, charliekirk.com slash support. Please email me your questions, freedom at charliekirk.com, and get involved at tur- with Turning Point USA at tpusa.com, tpusa.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys want to win a signed copy of the MAGA Doctrine, type in Charlie Kirk for your podcast provider. Hit subscribe. Give us a five-star review. Screenshot it and email us at freedom at charliekirk.com. Freedom at charliekirk.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. More coming up in future episodes. Listen to my sister episode where I talk to Jack Hibbs in front of 7,000 people. Thanks so much and God bless. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.